With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <coughs> Recorded live. Uh, good evening, everybody. Today is Wednesday, September the 2nd. <clears throat> and we are here tonight with the one and only Mr. Bob Schaefer. And... Tonight is kind of a, uh, a momentous occasion as uh, Bob and I are going to be uh, putting on regular weekly conference calls, and uh, we're going to hopefully start educating more people about different subjects and how to help them out to to protect their land, protect their rights, and help solve some of the more frivolous type of lawsuits, and or at least give you some pointers and where to look and, and things of that nature. So anyway, with that said, Bob, thank you. Welcome. How you doing? Thank you very much. I'm doing very well. Fantastic. So you kind of had a plan for tonight's call, so why don't we get into it? Very good. Uh, first, uh, let me say this, that tonight's call is going to be kind of an overview for the for the future. We'll hit on a lot of different areas lately and um, go into more detail later. Um, On the posted notices, I think we need to maybe update those before we send those out for free. So uh, those people who want uh, those, um, let's have no, and uh, as soon as we get those updated, we'll we'll be sending those out to you. Um, Okay, real, real quick, Bob, hold on. Hey, you guys, uh, if you have any kind of background noise or if you're making any microphone noise, hit star six on your phone to mute out. You can also hit star six to, to mute back in or to unmute, rather. But hit star six if you have any kind of background noise because we're getting getting some noise coming in. So thank you very much. Okay, go ahead, Bob. Okay, if you still have background noise, it may be my ethnic, so I can shut that off if you tell the other background noise. No, you're fine. Okay, good. Okay, uh, what I want to say is everybody is welcome, even if you work for the government. In fact, I encourage people that work for the government to join in these calls because I guarantee you, you will learn something. Uh, I've been studying law now for 37 years outside of a law school. And uh, I have information. They don't teach in law school, from what I understand. I'm have, I've had attorneys talk to me and say, uh, I've learned something here. In fact, I've had judges in, in the courtroom say, I've learned something here. <clears throat> and that's because uh, I focus on the areas of law that hit the man and woman on the street. Um, prisons. They say law is more complicated than medicine, and I believe it. That's why we have to specialize. And um, I, I have to also right up front say this is a report under my First Amendment guaranteed and secured right to freedom of speech. This is not legal 
not to be taken as any legal or financial advice. I don't do that. Uh, I won't tell you to go to an attorney either. Uh, I'll tell you to go to some competent source if you don't get your answers here or from uh, from a law library like I have. Uh, I've spent thousands of hours in law libraries and and also with my own 9,000 law works. I have gained a lot of good information from um, some of some of my own law books. Uh, ones I have two sets, not one but two sets that any attorney would die to have. Uh, they are uh, 100 volumes long, about two and a half to three inches thick. Have case law from 1658 to 1896, and it was in there that I learned uh, under Admiralty and Maritime. I looked it up there. Um, the America was built on the law of the land and its common law. The um, the law of the sea has all the other laws, like Roman civil law, equity law, chancery law, exchequer law. And especially uh, administrative law. Most most everybody that uh, gets pulled into court today are under administrative law, <clears throat> uh, under the law of the sea. And so we say, well, how did that happen? We're on the land. In fact, those states, you know, that, that are nowhere near a coastline, and they're still under the law of the sea. They have a port of entry at the at the, at the border. And they have space. We have spaceports and seaports and airports. Those are all under the law of the sea. <clears throat> now, the law of the land and its common law, which is the only law system under the law of the land, started and stopped at the mean or average high tide mark on the coastline of America. The uh, <clears throat> it became a problem for ships captains that had a cargo and passengers and a ship and a crew, when they crossed the main high tide marks on the uh, Columbia River, the Colorado River, the Mississippi River, the Hudson River, any river that they would go up with those ships, they lost law of the sea control. So in 1844, which if you're a Bible student is a good prophetic year, but it was in 1844 that Congress passed a law that allowed the law of the sea to come inland. Most bad laws today started out to be a good thing, and then they got perverted over time with what they call judicial activism. Um, <clears throat> the founding fathers gave, uh, gave us uh, wonderful documents called the Constitutions, and <clears throat> even though everybody had to swear or affirm and then subscribe to their Oval Office before they qualify, that's the word they use, to take their office, they they have to uh, swear or affirm uh, that they will uphold, defend, and support these constitutions. They are the highest law in the land. In fact, Article 6, Paragraph 2 of the 1870, excuse me, the 1787 Constitution for the United States of America, it's called the Supremacy Clause, and it says these words. It says, this Constitution, so we can put the word federal in there, this federal Constitution and all laws made pursuant thereto and all treaties made or which shall be made shall be, shall meaning mandatory, shall be the supreme law of the land. Now, in California, there was a supremacy clause in the California Constitution. 
the uh, uh, 1879 Constitution. Now, one interesting thing that I learned is that all states have at least two constitutions. There's the original de jure um, underlying constitutionally valid constitution, which uh, they don't like. Uh, they'd be in the government. <laughs> and in California, it was the constitution for 30 years. Now, the founding fathers made these constitutions to be living documents because they knew that as, as time progressed, well, there might be some things that were uh, outdated. In fact, today uh, I hear that President Obama has even said that the Constitution is outdated and archaic and, and uh, other people even call it a joke. Yet they have sworn or affirmed and then subscribed to such Constitution before they could even take their offer. So what they should do if they think it's a joke and, and they should... Um, leave their office because they're, they're holding their office under the pretense that they are going to uphold and defend it. Now, the federal constitution has, the way it became a living document was that they made the provisions work for change. And that's called the amendment procedure. And the federal constitution was amended 27 times. Now, one of those amendments was repealed because it didn't work out. So it is a living document, and if, if you're a government person and you don't like the Constitution, then you have two choices. Either quit your job or get on the ball and get it amended. And that will take a little bit of time, but it's been done 27 times. Now, in the state of California, the people loved it so much, they, made it, they only amended it three times in 30 years. But in 1879, uh, the federal corporate government based on the, 18, the Act of 1871 forced all the states to come up with a new constitution, and that was basically to control the free slaves and the people that were here under a privilege to be here, the people that didn't have a right to be here. You see, um, the United States Army sent um, General Kearney to California in 1849 because California was, was a possession. It was not a territory. After the International Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and its protocol of Curly Carroll. And they wanted an anchor state over here. So he contacted the sovereign inhabitants. They were not sovereign citizens. We are not sovereign citizens. The term sovereign citizen is an oxymoron. You cannot be a sovereign and a citizen. Citizenship has obligations, duties, and responsibilities that the sovereign inhabitant didn't have. These people were not citizens of anything. They were just inhabitants of the California area, which had before been out of California and before that, New Spain. Anyway, they created the 1849 A.D. Constitution for the state of California, and it already contained paragraph one, they made a provision for its amendment. In paragraph two, they made a provision for its total repeal. That has never been uh, exercised. It's not been repealed. And therefore, it's still available to protect the sovereign inhabitants, which is what we are. That's <clears throat> um, what everybody is that, was, that experienced their nativity. Now, words and their phrases are very important. 
I don't, I don't have a birthday. I don't claim to have a birthday. I don't claim to have a date of birth or a DOD. I have a date of, of um, let's see. My mind just went blank. I'll get back to it. Uh, date of nativity, the date I became a native. Uh, it's a biblical phrase, and so we have, I'm a native. Now, if somebody in court wants to ask me what my birth date is, I will tell them I don't have one, not that I know of. Um, and they'll say, well, everybody have a birth date. See, birth is a law of the sea term. And, uh, well, I have a nativity date, but I don't have a birth date. And, well, what's your nativity date? Well, I'm not really sure about that because, you know, I was very young at the time, and I just don't remember what that date was. (laughs) What did your mother say it was? Well, you know, I was there at the time, but I was so young, I couldn't identify my mother in a lineup. In other words, it's okay to be vague. And, and not not answer their questions. And uh, people have used what I'm telling you here over the years, and they've been very successful. So words and their meanings are very critical in law. This is why we have law dictionaries. Um, I'm a historian. I'm a law historian, and I like to travel where, where history happened. I've been all over America many times. And uh, I've been in the actual room where Webster wrote the dictionary. It's uh, Henry Ford was a historian, and he he went and purchased a lot of different really neat buildings, and he disassembled them, brought them over to this place called Greenfield Village uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, next to the Henry Ford Museum. And in Greenfield Village, you can walk through time. You can see an 1820 log cabin, and, and then you can you walk through and see uh, where the dictionary was written. Well, there was a man named Bouvier, a Frenchman named Bouvier, that said, well, we need to have a law dictionary. So he wrote the first law dictionary. Then Valentines came along and wrote law dictionaries. Then blacks came along and wrote law dictionaries. Now, the black law dictionaries are for the law of the sea. Um, Bouvier's law dictionaries are the law of the land. So if you can get a Bouvier law dictionary online, that's a good thing because in 1870, Congress put their blessing on the Bouvier 1870 law dictionary by saying, this is the meaning of the words we used when we wrote those laws. In other words, we need to know what the intent of the original lawmaker was, and we can force that intent of the original lawmaker on the course today because they're bound by their own law to find out the intent of the original lawmaker. Um, the, the better law dictionary is the 1914 uh, Bouvier because it's two volumes long and it's the same words that is annotated with case law that back it up. So you have, you can quote case law if you have a, a Black's 19, excuse me, a Bouvier's 1914 dictionary. So uh, we need to use the right words so they're going to use them against us. For instance, the word person, a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm a good person, I'm there's a bad person, and we are not persons unless we have a government job. A person is a can be a corporation, an association, a partnership, or it can be a human with a 
privilege granted by the government. If you look at the, uh, there's only two basic kinds of laws in America. That's constitutionally valid laws and administrative laws. Now, the constitutionally valid laws are the constitutions and the laws made pursuant to them. The administrative laws are everything else, like ordinances, codes, titles, manuals, rules, regulations. And those are all administrative laws. And if you read them, they deal with persons. For instance, California government told uh, uh, California Vehicle Code 12,500A, and you can look in your own state and find a similar one. It says, all persons who drive a motor vehicle shall be licensed. Now, I'm all for that. That I'm not a person and I don't drive anywhere. I travel a lot. I travel all over America. My automobile is not a motor vehicle. See how important words are? It says persons who drive a motor vehicle. The term drive and operate are commercial terms. Bus drivers and taxi cab drivers, they're all they all operate motor vehicles because they're in commerce. Because the government can only control and regulate commerce. But today, the, for the ignorance of the people, they stand in line and they throw money at the government uh, because they think they're a person who is driving or something. So this is why I went in court all the time. In fact, I was told uh, in February this year, a man told me, I've done some work for him in the past, and he called me up and he said, I thought you'd be interested. He says, my attorney was over at the local highway patrol office and on the on the board was there was a note that said, if you arrest Robert Schaefer, you will be fired. Now, eight years ago, I had a similar message brought to me by another highway patrolman, a uh, hundred miles from where I live and work. And uh, my computer guy was was using him because he also has a computer store. He said he heard, he's heard of Robert Schaefer. My computer guy said, well, what did you hear about him? He said, well, they told us to lead him along. And then two weeks later, they were working together, and the highway patrolman brought my name up again and said, has Mr. Schaefer had any problem with any police agency in all of Southern California? So I don't mean just the highway patrol, but the sheriffs and the city police and, he, and my Computer guy said, well, I don't believe so. And he said, I don't believe you well either. He said, last week, the, warning, the notice went to a warning. Leave him alone. He's cost the state too many thousands of dollars, and he went in court all the time. Well, I went in court by using their law against them, and I used the words and their meanings. And this goes right over the head of most people. See, the problem with the masses or that they would just rather have another beer watch the game and they don't have time to study this stuff. And so they get taken advantage of. There's a Bible text, Hosea 4, 6, that says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that, that actually applies to everybody, no matter what religion you are. You are destroyed for lack of your own knowledge. So to do this to you for taking the time tonight to learn something, and I know you've already learned something because this stuff is not available to a lot of people. Now, here's another thing that, that a lot of people don't realize. You cannot pay a fine, yet people are put in jail for failure to pay all the time. 
and uh, this shows the ignorance of the judge, or maybe the, the judge is bought for, bought and paid for, uh, because nobody has paid. I'm using the P word. We call it the P word. They haven't paid for anything since 1965 pursuant to their laws. Now, what have you done? You've discharged it. The D word. You, if you pay, if you think you're going to pay off your mortgage with a suitcase of, of cash, they will give you a document entitled mortgage discharge. They know the difference. You didn't pay for anything. You discharged the debt. And so, here's here's their problem. The claims after 18, excuse me, of April 2, 1792 is the only, I repeat, only American law that ever defined a dollar. And it defined a dollar as a weight or measure of a precious metal. Do you, do you use, we call them silver dollars on the state, but they are technically called dollars of silver. In other words, it's, 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 a, it's a term of weight or measure, like grain, ounce, pound, or ton. Uh, the grain is based on the, grain, uh, the weight of a grain of wheat. There are 480 grains in a little ounce. The Coinage Act of 1792 breaks it up into 16 even smaller parts. It says that the dollar shall be made out of 0.999 fine silver, that's the grade, and it will be 371 and 4 sixteenths grains. That's it all. Now, how do they come up with that precise number? The colonists were using the Spanish mill dollar, which was 475 grains to begin with. Well, there's always people going to cheat, so some people whittle on their money and put that little silver in their silver bag and resold it. And so that's why they put a shared edge on the silver coins, uh, a, a dime and a ball. And that's why if you look at the old Western movies, the bartender will take the coin and hold it up and look at it really good. He didn't want a cheap, a cheap coin. The, the weight of that coin was very important. Now, today they hold up your money and look for the little magnetic strip so that they can see that it's not a pony. So anyway, we have the dollar of silver. You can have a grain of, uh, uh, let's say, um, marijuana, or you can have an ounce of gold or a pound of butter or a ton of hay or a dollar of silver. So now we don't have this anymore. They're not available and currently used as currency. You see how important those two words are? Currently used as currency. And you see they can't, they can't create dollars uh, on computers. That's why they've got to switch over to law to see negotiable instruments. Now, if you look at a silver certificate, and I suggest everybody go to a coin shop and buy a Morgan dollar, I like the Morgan because it's... Uh, it's really beautiful. And then also buy a silver certificate. They'll have it encased in plastic. Um, it will be plastic laminated. And you'll notice the big words, let's say it's a dollar bill. And this is a true dollar bill. Some of you know it's not a dollar bill. 
a silver certificate is a dollar bill. You put it in your bill fold, and it's a bill that you present for payment. Use the P word there. Across the top, it says the United States of America in big letters. Not the United States. That's a different entity, by the way. Get to that during the call. It's the, it says the United States of America. And then down below under the picture, it says $1. But if you look at the little words above that, it says this certifies. Now, it's a silver certificate. Wouldn't you expect a certificate to certify something? This certifies that there is on deposit in the, in the big, big letters in the treasury of, and then in the big letters, the United States of America. So up there it says this certifies that there is something way over there at the treasury of the United States of America. And then down below it says $1. And then below that it says payable to the bearer on demand. There's the two word, payable to the bearer on demand. So if this certifies that there is a dollar of silver over there at the treasury of the United States, what is this not? It is not a dollar. It is a dollar bill. <laughs> now, the Federal Reserve notes don't say that. Now, the Coinage Act of 1965 came along, and it specifically states therein, this does not change the definition of a dollar. So the dollar for all these years has been 371 and 4 sixteenths of a grain of 0.999 fine silver plus into the shape of a coin with a serrated edge. That's it. Discussion is over. You never borrowed dollars when you bought your house or your car or your credit cards or any of that stuff. Now, one of the things that we, we offer, that we will be offering on this and, and, and we ask for a donation. We have a suggested donation price. Nothing is for sale. Everything is donated. But we ask for a donation because we've spent years and years and years developing these and fine-tuned them. We, we get responses back. We see what the argument is. We critique it, and we, we hit them again with it. So everything has been perfected to the hill. Uh, it would take years and years to reproduce what we, what we have right now. An attorney cannot use this information because he has a member of the bar. And uh, if he used this kind of work, uh, he would probably be disbarred because that means he's not playing the game. And they call it a game. He's part of the team. An attorney's first duty is to the system, which we back in the 50s, the hippies and beatniks called the establishment. But he's part of that, and he's got to play along with that. I had an attorney one time approach me at a, at a computer show at a fairground, and he said, you're Bob Schaefer, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, I, now, this was 20 years ago. He said, uh, I want to do what you do, but I can't do it right now. I'm a member of the club. He said, I watched two of your videos. Now, I've been doing videos and seminars for more than 20 years, and uh, people learn a lot from them. And uh, so they can't get rid of my information. It's already out there. It's too late. You can't, uh, you can't get rid of this information. Um, but he said he was a former uh, county district attorney in a local county here in California. And he told me back in the 50s when I was a deputy DA, 20% uh, of the lawyers and 20% of the judges were corrupt. 
he said today, now keep in mind this is 20 years ago when, he, when we had this talk, today those numbers are reversed. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's corrupt. I'm saying that he said it was his observation that the 80% were corrupt as of that day. And so I can say, well, let's look, is there a trend here? They're getting that way. Um, one, one judge in a case I was in, he says, when you come back uh, next time, he says, you'll have a different judge. They don't seem to like the way I make my rulings, which means the system judges the judges, and they know if they're going to keep their job, they had better pay along. Now, you see, I tell people if you have a really good attorney and a really good CPA, you do not need any other enemies because they are there to show you how you have to comply. And an attorney may give you more time to comply. We don't comply. We say you don't have any jurisdiction. In fact, in California and in other states, there are no judges that there are judges. They are not judges. They're in the third total and complete absence of all judicial uh, jurisdiction, and they have lost all their immunity. So I sue judges. And um, that's one reason they really want to leave me alone. I've seen their expression on their face when they, when they look at my face and they see a 3D bar. My name comes up at the monthly judge meeting uh, every now and then. But you see, uh, and they're supposed to swear and affirm or then subscribe to this oath of office. And in California, it's uh, Article 6, uh, Section 3, which has five paragraphs. The first and the latter, and you can look this up in your state, and you'll probably find this to be true because I found it nationwide. The first and fifth paragraph say you all, who all should take this oath of office. The Fourth paragraph says that no other oath shall be taken as a qualification. In other words, they're not qualified until they swear or affirm this oath of office. Now, if you read the, the actual oath, it's two paragraphs. Now, until the early 1950s, it was the first paragraph, which is the paragraph they take. But there was a guy um, in the 50s, I'll think of his name, uh, that came out with a lot of stuff that got on TV about um, communism. Uh, McCarthy was his name. And so all the states came up with a second paragraph that says these words, and I further do swear or affirm that I do not, that I have not belonged, no, excuse me, I do not belong to any organization designed to overthrow the government of the United States of America or the state of California by force, violence, or other unlawful means. It repeats for the same words three times, but it changes the first part, the first sentence. The second time it says, uh, the first person said, I, I, I haven't belonged to one within five years, and the next one says, I do not now belong to one, and the other one says, I will not belong to one while I'm in office. They don't take that one. Now, don't you think we want to know if there's somebody in office that's willing to overthrow the government through force, violence, or other awful means, especially now when we have terrorism that's so embedded into our government? But they, they don't take that. So, in other words, they violated paragraph number four. 
uh, they didn't sit out from any oath of office that put them into their their job. So that judge that's making rulings is not making rulings. Now, this applies to everybody that's in a judicial capacity. There's a real judge, which is at the top of the list. Then he's busy. So he has helper boys and helper girls come in and help out. And they have other titles, like retired judges, judge pro tem. A judge pro tem is an attorney in town that's just sitting in for a while and gets paid well. Then there's court commissioners, court hearing officers, court referees. And to get anybody below a real judge, they have to hand you a stipulation paper. This is their law that we use against them. You have to stipulate to allow this lesser judicial officer to rule in your case. Now, he can only make recommendations to the real judge. Now, in the federal court, they have judge magistrates or magistrate judges. They can only make recommendations, and they hand you a paper that lets you stipulate to let this magistrate judge uh, do what he can, and I recommend people do that because you don't want to make the real judge who's real busy. He's got a pile of papers over there, and he doesn't have time for you. He needs that helper. And that gives you another round. You can, when you walk into that courtroom, they'll hand you a, a tentative ruling that the magistrate judge will, uh, he, he's going to show you how he's thinking. And so you sit down, you read the tentative ruling. Now, I went into one court, and they gave me the tentative ruling against me. So now I know I have an opportunity to change his mind at the actual hearing post. So I had served the sheriff of my, of my county, and they had two attorneys. One was representing the sheriff, and one was representing the county. So I was going up against two attorneys. When they called my case, uh, the judge magistrate asked the uh, two attorneys, you've seen my uh, tentative ruling. They said, yes. Do you have anything you want to add? No. They were happy with that. They looked at me and said, Mr. Schaefer, you've seen my tentative ruling. Yes, I have. Now's your opportunity to change my mind. Well, I changed his mind because I used the words and the meanings that are, that are uh, in the law dictionaries. So now that he ha he can make a recommendation to the judge, he has to let you know what that recommendation is so that you can respond to it. So this is called due process of law. Notice an opportunity to be heard is what due process of law means. Now, there's a lot of courts today where commissioners and people just roll all over people. They shut you up. You won't let, they won't look at your evidence. They won't let you have anybody talk. Uh, no witnesses, it's, we're here to rule over you, and most people just give up. You know, what can I do? Well, you can file a notice of interlocutory appeal. See, they have what they call the one final judgment rule. They don't want little piecemeal uh, appeals. Years ago, people used to appeal everything, and that would solve the case, and then they, it would come back, and then they'd appeal the next thing, and they just we're really playing with the system and never letting them get to the, the end. So they came up with the one final judgment rule. You can't appeal piecemeal, but you can appeal when you have to. And so you use the interlocutory appeal form. We have that 
And we quote Black Law Dictionary, which is their law dictionary under the law of the same. The latest dictionary provides for interlocutory appeals when something needs to be addressed right now because we don't want to wait for the one final judgment rule where they throw you in jail and now you have to appeal from jail. And besides that, in the interest of, of uh, let's see, the term is the interest of judicial economy, we could probably resolve this with an appeal right now using words and phrases uh, that we use. And we can show the appellate court or the appellate department of the Superior Court, we can show them how the judge, number one, doesn't have any authority. He doesn't have an oath of office. Number two, he's calling me a person. Number three, he's saying I was driving or operating. Number four, he's a, a motor vehicle. See, motor vehicle is defined in Title 18, Section 31. You can look it up online. As a contrivance, conveyance, or machine used in trade, commerce, business, or industry for a fair fee or rate. In other words, the motor vehicle is in commerce. That's why we have the motor vehicle code. They, they can regulate motor vehicles, and I want them to regulate motor vehicles. If you're out there using my right of way, I want you to be able to control. I don't want you speeding. I don't want you tearing up things. Uh, it's a good thing to be under that law if you are in commerce. And most people, since if I say it this way, let's say there's this little old grandmother taking her grandchildren to Sunday school in her automobile. And she stops at the stop sign, but she crosses over the bright line from uh, 18 inches. And there's an officer there and he sees her. Hey, this is money in the bank. He goes over and excites her. And it's not for 15 or 20 bucks anymore. It's 60 or 80 or 100 dollars. She doesn't know any better. Remember, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So she went down there and she throws money at them. They asked for, let's say, 80 dollars. Does she have any dollars? No. So she pays in Federal Reserve notes. But she's she's been damaged because they misinterpreted the law. So what I wanted to do, I used to go into court. And uh, I would take my, my little book called Section 1983, Civil Rights Suits, and, or another book called Suing Judges, and I would tell the bailiff, I'm almost deaf. When they call my name, please, please let me know. And I would sit in the audience, and I would hold my book up, and I would read it. Now, I'm doing two things. I'm intimidating them, and I'm learning. I'm reading. I'm seriously studying right now. I don't waste my time. Now, now... I don't even waste my time. I do not want the court. I might even sign a notice to appear or a promise to appear or a notice uh, a traffic citation or a red light camera. Well, they, they don't hand that to you. But I might sign that. I might sign the end of uh, or TDC, Fed Resident Collision, but I might not even do that. But I will not show up because a failure to appear to, to those documents is not a crime, yet they, they, they think it is. This is where those people who are listening that are judges and commissioners and stuff, you're going to learn something here. A notice to appear is not a jurisdictional granting document. You can be a real judge with a real open office. You have no jurisdiction until jurisdictional dandy papers are confirmed onto you by either a public prosecutor or one of the parties. 
with a complaint. Now, there's three documents that give a judge jurisdiction. That's a formal verified complaint, and if that can be civil or criminal, it could be an, an indictment by a grand jury or an information by the attorney general of the state or or even a um, a county council. But that's it. A notice of pure promise of pure or traffic citation is not one of those that gives jurisdiction. It is only a statement of a witness, and it was served on you by that officer. You can't serve your own papers. This is against the service of process. Rules and regulations, you can't serve your own. It has to be somebody else. So what's supposed to happen, which never does, is he turns in his notice to appear, which is not on eight and a half by 11 paper. It's not white and opaque. It's, it's printed on NCR paper, so it violates that rule. You, if you look at your rules in court, you'll see that that doesn't comply at all. Notice to appear is not on uh, uh, the pages are not numbered. It doesn't have the name of the court on line eight. It doesn't have the name of the prosecutor, and all his information, his bar number, and his phone, and all of his information starting on line one. The the document itself doesn't have. It's not printed with a uh, twelve point pitch or pica type. It's it's a lot smaller. Uh, it's not space and a half or double space like the law requires. Uh, it's single spaced. It's printed on both sides. That's not the law that's allowed out. Um, it doesn't have the, the law that you wrote completely written out verbatim. And that law doesn't even have an enabling clause, so it can't even be used on a formal verified complaint. They just, they just display their ignorance. See, I'm a nitpicker. Um, procedure is very important. When I went into real estate many years ago, I took a lot of courses. And one of the kind of cute sayings about real estate investing is the most, the three important things about investing in real estate are location, location, and location. For the courtroom, the three most important issues are procedure, procedure, and procedure. And you can catch them violating their own procedures called due process or procedural due process. So, if you, if you can hit them with enough of that, it's called reversible error. Now, in my case, in one of my cases, um, it was code enforcement. I can beat all code enforcement uh, many different ways, not just this one. One of them was the land path. But I went into court and um, I told the judge, I said, you know, this, this violates your own non-confirming use law your own grandfather's law. I've been using my land since 1974, since July 24, 1974. I've, I have antique cars, trucks, and trailers, and motorcycles going through my my land. In other words, the first one's not there anymore, but the use has been the same for all these years. And she, and she said, well, you could use that if you applied for your conditional use permit, which was $1,800, by the way, <laughs> and and they denied it. If they denied it, you could do that. I said, no, I can use it right now, and I am I mean, I'm using it right now. And she rolled over, she rolled over me. And so that's right there, uh, an appealable issue with a with a uh, interlocutory appeal. 
I didn't know that then. This was 15 years ago. And so the, I sued the judge. Uh, I could have done it with an appeal, but I sued him. It went up. And it, by the time it came back, it was uh, a year later. And they moved this case to the presiding judge of the whole county because they know that I'm a nitpicker on procedure. And this guy doesn't make mistakes. He's the presiding judge over 72 judges. Now I'm sitting there saying, I'm going to find a mistake with this guy. <laughs> I know this law better than he does, even though he's the presiding judge. So during, during the course, they, the county council said uh, to the first judge, Your Honor, I've met Mr. Schaefer. He should not have to worry about going to jail. Uh, I think we should reduce these three misdemeanors down to infractions. And uh, so they, I said, I want the record to show I object. I demand you leave those misdemeanors there. I don't get a trial by jury with infractions. And the judge said, well, we're going to reduce them down anyway. And, uh, you know, that's where it is. So I said, I want the record to, to show that I object. I object timely. And that uh, you have not honored my objections. It's so noted, you know, and they say it like, you know, no big deal. So noted, we get you guys all the time. And then they look at the cow, we're going to schedule your next hearing for this. You know, and they got to look like they're in control because there's all this audience. They can't let you look like you're winning. So just know that. And just know that you're going to win at some point in the future. So then when it came back, uh, they scheduled me before the presiding judge of the county, and they brought in a special prosecutor. I mean, this was really serious. And... Uh, the uh, prosecutor got up and said, well, you know, I, you know, I, I, I just learned something. Uh, I learned that uh, the former judge and I had no authority to reduce those charges from misdemeanors <laughs> down to infractions. So it looks like we're going to have to put these back up to misdemeanors, jailable misdemeanors. Now, the jury box is full of people in orange suits wishing they had this opportunity to take an infraction. And uh, so the judge looked at me and said, oh, Mr. Schaefer, uh, do you want to be put back up to jail and misdemeanors? My answer was, I demand a trial by jury. He said, you got it. So we came back in the next day for the trial by jury, and the, on the desk for uh, the uh, defendant and the plaintiff was the Rhode Island uh, questionnaire that we could ask the jury members. The county does not want me to have a trial by jury or even a jury trial. And there's a difference. There's a major, major, major difference. And I'll explain that when I get through here. So, because I can teach 12 people to be like me, and they don't want that. And I'm going to need three weeks. This is not going to go away real fast. I bring my hand truck in with, with boxes of stuff. We're going to go over. I've got to train these people what I've learned in all these years, and I've got to do it in only three weeks. So they don't want to do that. So the county council got up and said, Your Honor, the county does not want to proceed these uh, misdemeanors. We're going to completely drop them. We're not going to prosecute them at all. We're just going to prosecute the three infractions. And uh, I, I looked at the judge and I said, I demand that they prosecute the misdemeanors. I demand a trial by jury. And he said, this is a quote, Mr. Schaefer, while they cannot uh, reduce charges without your permission, they can uh, refuse to uh, prosecute. Right there was his mistake. I caught him on it right there, but I didn't tell him about it. 
So he said, you're stuck with a bench trial. So we had the bench trial. Now, during the trial, um, there came a time when I said, um, I have a, a material good faith question to what that. I said, well, you've stopped them from charging me with uh, misdemeanor, so you can only find me. Said, That's correct. So then I pulled out $21 of silver, and I put them out on the table. See, 21 is falls under the Seventh Amendment. In the, when the amount in controversy is more than $20, they use the D word, you get a right to a trial by jury. So I said, you know, California government code 6850 and other, other laws, other states have their law, says these words, the money in the account of the state of California shall be the dollar, cent, and mill. I said, furthermore, the 20th of April 2, 1792, says the money in the account of the United States and all court proceedings shall be had and held in the form of the dollar dime. And then we had a dime in there, and it's spelled differently. It's D-I-M-S-E. And uh, I says, oh, and, and the California General Court, it also says, and all court proceedings. So I raised my hand, I looked at the ceiling, I looked at the walls. I, I think that's all we have here is a court proceeding. Then I looked at the judge and I put my finger on my side. I think this law pertains to this courtroom. So I said, it's impossible. You can't, these are not currently used as currency. This is the only thing you can charge me for. And if you charge me with these, you have to charge everybody else. Otherwise, you're discriminating against me and my knowledge. So then we went on. He said, that's very interesting. Those are beautiful. I said, yeah, this is real money. (laughs) dollars <laughs> in silver. So when we got to the end of the trial, he said, well, Mr. Shafe, I'm going to have to find you guilty. Now, he liked me. I could tell he liked me and he liked my arguments, but he couldn't be the guy that let me go. He was, he had, you know, that's the way I read it. I have to find you guilty of three infractions, but I'm only going to charge you $25 for each one, and I know you probably have some material <laughs> issues. So I'm going to stay the payment of the $75. See, for $75, I could have gone on with my life. But then I'd be a convict, wouldn't I? No, they all know, but I'm not going to be a convict, so I'm going to appeal it. So he says, if it ever comes back down from the appeal where you uh, have lost uh, and you have to make the payment, he's, I'm going to be over in family law court. You've got to have a new argument. It's going to be somebody else's. And he looked over the top of his glasses and said, problem. It's going to be somebody else's problem. It is a problem. Now, one of the things we're going to be offering on this site is offers to pay. Now, I personally developed the offer to pay. There's, I've not gone to any seminar that taught it. I've never read a book on it. It's my own procedure. But I pull this out of, of other of documents where people, like in first quarters, they'll say, well, the guy didn't even make an offer to pay. So we cure that by making an offer to pay. Now, the offer to pay, uh, you don't have to have a red cent to make an offer. That's their law under the Uniform Commercial Code. Now, there's a lot of people say, we're not under the Uniform Commercial Code. Yes, they are. They're a federal judicial department, and they are under the federal uh, Uniform Commercial Code is international, by the way. Now, every state has its own state commercial code, which is it's the same numbers, but there's a, a high thing or a, a dot or a period someplace in the same number. Hey, Bob. So we use, what's that? 
Hey Bob. Hey, real quick, yeah. are you gonna are you gonna uh, have time here real shortly, maybe to take questions? Okay. I can do that. I'll finish this up. Okay. So anyway, anyway the uh, I took the I took the judge into the appellate department. There's a lot of superior courts have an appellate department because they don't want to be embarrassed over the the, the court of appeals, and so three judges. Out of his pool, 72 judges looked at my argument, and they reversed him. I won my case. Well, county counsel came in and made a motion to, re- to reconsider. And with that mere motion, the presiding justice reversed my, my appeal. Well, they can't do that. So I put my finger in their chest and said, where do you get, I want to book chapter this. I want to see your authority to, to reverse an appeal with just a mere filing of a motion to reconsider. And here's five more reasons to give you my, my, my win back. They met again, and I don't know if all three rule for me or two overruled the presiding judge, but I won again. Now the records of the county says it shows that I reversed the presiding judge not once but twice in his own power department using these arguments. Okay, I'm ready to take some questions. All right, keep so, in mind, I'm very hard of here, and he to speak slow and distinctly. Okay. So if you guys if you have any questions for Bob, hit star 8 on your phone. And what I forgot to mention when we first started, uh, the services that Bob will be offering, or is currently offering, is at youhavetheright.com. That's Y-O-U, youhavetheright.com. Uh, you can see his services under... Um, Land patent services. I got a little uh, uh, banner ad up on the right hand side if you scroll down the page. And we also have uh, Bob's do it yourself land patent package available as well. So if you have any questions, hit star eight. And I think we have our first question here, Bob, from North Dakota. North Dakota, go ahead. Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, my question I've got several questions pertaining to the course or the subject that you offer on your price list. First one is, what's the difference, I mean, if you could answer, you know, as briefly as possible, but the difference between the major or minor package? Okay, Pat, I need you to repeat that. My ear is so bad. I can hear you, but I couldn't hear much of what he said. Okay. He wants to know the difference uh, on the pricing list that you have. What is the difference between the major and the minor package? Uh, land patent package? Yes. The, oh, okay. Go. The, the minor one is uh, an overview. It's, it's, it's the land patent. Uh, we'll talk about land patents next week. Uh, the land patent is an awesome forever document. Uh, in fact, when they say, well, that's an old law, that they did that 150 years ago, the answer is, but it uses the word forever. So the question becomes, what is it about the word forever that you don't understand? Yeah. Uh, I've got hundreds of case law that I've collected over the years from high courts in the United States Supreme Court that back up our position, what we do with land patents. So the, 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 the minor one is a lot less money. The major package is over 300 pages. When you buy the major one, uh, you have over 300 pages in in 27 documents, well, actually, there's less because you're going to get the posted notices for free here, but there's all those other documents in there. 
that they cannot answer. See, everything we do, everything we do is a setup. And if they're smart, they'll see it's a setup and they'll cave. If they're not smart and they want to just keep messing with us, then we keep messing with them. But then, see, the, the bounty goes up. Now we want to get more in our lawsuit. Now, what we do when we, when we sue them, we sue them for uh, the money in the account of the United States. We don't say what that is until we get the judgment. And uh, so that triggers them to have to order that they pay in dollars and silver. Because we sued these guys for the money of the account. We didn't tell them what it was. But we can tell them that later. It's just a strategy. You don't want to show your hand too soon on everything. So you just feed it out a little bit at a time and take advantage of their law and you take advantage of the setup. So we, we set them up. Everything we do is a setup. And I want to say this one other thing. They like to throw up roadblocks. And in the 37 years that I've been studying law, I've learned how to go over them, under them, around them, or through them. But they don't stop me. That's the reason they want to leave me alone. They want to leave me alone. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so that major or minor package is a is a system of instruction that we purchase and we study and 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 do, do ourselves, or do you help in getting the land patent for particular property? Now, the minor one is you're all on your own. We'll ask, we'll answer questions, by the way, but you don't get the major one for that price. And uh, the the major one is worth what we what we charge. Uh, we get thirty five hundred bucks for the major one, but there's a lot of work involved. Now I have a very intelligent man that's worked with me for five years. Uh, come September twenty three, we've uh, been working together for five years. Uh, his name is John Gorda, and he does some awesome work. Um, and we work together. We talk daily, many times. So uh, we, we do the one for 3500 bucks. there's a lot of communication with you. We ask you to send us a lot of stuff. We fill in all the blanks. In other words, it's very detailed and very successful. I can take you to about 25 places within 25 or 30 miles of my office and show you where the government will not set foot. And now, I, you know, you hear on the news how they're now putting meters, water meters on people's wells. Uh, I heard on, the, on one program uh, about two months ago there was a, people that had a vineyard, uh, a, a, a wine uh, processing thing, and they had people that donated their time because they just wanted to learn the process. And the government came in and they fined them a huge amount of money. And... and uh, I could stop that. I could stop that completely with, a, with one of the offers to pay. We have offers to pay for school loans, car loans, mortgages, uh, Superior Court judgments, franchise tax boards, state tax, IRS. Uh, I'm going to throw in a quick uh, little side story here. There's a woman who married a man 28 years ago that had been divorced for five years, and they built a business. 1.1 acres on a downtown street corner. And he died three years ago. And the ex-wife hired a shyster attorney that I beat all the time in court and stuff, but she hired this guy 
to get this new life out. And he did it. I didn't know anything about this at the time. They, they took her house away. Then this attorney sued this new wife for $58,000 for attorney's fee to steal her house. She didn't know what to do. Remember, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. She didn't know what to do. The, the attorney got a default judgment. So now she really does owe the money. No way around it, unless you know Bob. She really <laughs> owes the money. He could have laid on a business. He then got a sale date. The business is now a, not a business because her husband is dead, so it's vacant, but it's still a nice piece of land and buildings with about a half a million dollars. So when the sale, of course, sale, they might get three, three fifty out of it. He take his fifty-eight thousand, give her the rest, but she's lost a whole lot of money. At that very late date, somebody said, "You need Bob." So I got involved. I unwound the whole thing. The whole thing got unwound. That attorney did not get his $58,000. The corner is for sale by order right now. So that's the power of what we do with our setup and where we can go back and unwind stuff using their law against them. Okay, that's it. Any other questions? Uh, just the, the last one is what is a quiet title action? I heard that. A quiet title action is where you claim ownership of your house and the bank claims ownership of your house through your trustee. You actually see that the land pattern is really powerful. It's good to the grantee of 150 years ago, his family or, or, or heirs. But the railroad grant, its successors, not heirs, and assigned forever. Well, you're an assigned. So when you took title to your land, you became an assigned. So you fit into that description. That land pattern is yours for a few hours until you sign a trustee. Without trustee, you gave that land patent power to the bank. It's a lending institution. Now they have the sovereign alone, land ownership, rights, title, interest, use, and control forever. But now here's the problem. That's why it's not going to get a loan, but we have, a lot of people have to get a loan. So you did that. But here's the here's problem. They got greedy. They separated the land patent, excuse me, they separated the trustee from the promissory note. They monetized your signature to create the money out of thin air that you funded your own loan because they monetized your signature. The money that they loaned you back didn't exist anywhere in the universe until you signed that promissory note. Now they got greedy and they took that promissory note and they bundled it and they put it on the, in the stock, uh, the stock exchange. Just traded all over the world. Now what does that do? There's an old case, the Carpenter decision, which we have, the United States Supreme Court talking, and it's never been overruled. It says when you separate the promissory note from the trustee, you invalidate the, the, the um, trustee, or in Eastern State, it's called the mortgage. They invalidate that, which means you got the sovereign of the land supplied title, interest, use, and control back as a matter of law. They don't have anything they can foreclose on, but do they? Yes, because of the ignorance of the people who would rather have another fear watch the game. So you lose your health because of your ignorance. Now, I hate to tell people this, but I have to tell them all the time. 
Justice is for sale. You have to be able to afford justice. I hate to say that, but the courts are the courts have their retirement invested in mortgage-backed securities off the stock exchange. In other words, your promissory note is now over there backing the judge's retirement. So don't we have a conflict of interest here? That's why he wants you to pay your mortgage. And he'll tell you, look, man, you should, you should pay your mortgage. So prejudice I, of I, the court. What's that? It's the prejudice of the court. That's right. So, so in other words, he's not going to suffer. Now, he should really accuse himself if he has that conflict of interest. They don't do that, though. Now, in the, for, for, for several years, judges have been ruling for the lending institution for that reason. Now that some judges started losing their houses, and so that we started getting some good decisions because they started <laughs> ruling the right way. You guys are the ones that sit there. And by the way, under FAS 140, they're supposed to destroy that promissory note. So when you go in with a suitcase of cash, let's say, and say, I want, I want my promissory note back. I don't want that popping up ever in the future. They can't give it to you. It's been destroyed. Well, when they did this, when they did this evil thing, this greedy thing, they discharged your loan. You don't have a loan on your house. Your house is free and clear. Because of what they did. If they don't tell you that, they keep hammering on you to make those payments, and we're going to foreclose on you. We're going to take you into court, and we're going to get you out. And so you need these answers to show the court, look, under, under Carpenter, they, they discharged my loan. My loan was never paid. It was discharged as a matter of law. That was several other things that we tell them. We give them an offer to pay. They will refuse to answer the Uniform Commercial Code says they have to answer it. Either accept the offer or reject the offer in a certain way. If they just throw it in the trash or they don't reject it properly, that discharges the law. So there's a second discharge. Then there's a third discharge. This is very powerful. You want to make a, a rescission. You want to send them, and we have this, we'll be offering this too, a letter of rescission. You're... you're uh, you get a rescission on your signature because of the fraud um, that is in, in that promissory note. And in the, in the, the other thing's a fraud. So you're, re, you're rescinding your signature. The minute you put that in the mail, according to case law, the minute you put it in the mail, it's discharged. So there's three different ways your mortgage is discharged. So, Bob, so, we have another so, question on the board. Uh, just, I had one other question. Well, wait, 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 wait. Bob? You still yeah. there, Bob? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, we got another question on the board here, and I think our, our gentleman from North Dakota has another question that perhaps you can answer rather quickly so we can get to this sure. other person. Yeah. Okay. Does, does the, does the uh, 3500 uh, uh pay for all of that work, Bob, on the... Uh, on the uh, land patent uh, for one piece of property? Yes, that's for each piece of property. And we stay with you all the way through if you need to do a court paper, if you need to sue them, and their appeals. In other words, we're not like attorneys that have their hand out again in a week, uh, saying, well, that's gonna, you, know, you build up your uh, retainer, and now you only get $300 an hour or $500 an hour. Hang on, hang on, Bob. Uh, sir, what kind of situation are you facing? 
that you need a land patent for? Is it a code situation, or are you in foreclosure? No, I uh, I have uh, several properties. Two are residential, and one is a commercial, which I don't think is covered by land patents. But because the uh, future is uncertain, I would like to do everything I can to uh, assure that my property stays my property through all the fraud and deceit that is occurring in the uh, financial uh, and banking markets. Yeah, we we can help you. Now, to answer your question, if if you, you know, I don't know if they know if the code you have a United States land patent, but if you do, it will work on your commercial property. It works on all land. All land, all private land is protected forever by a United States land patent or a state land patent. And we'll get into that more next week about the difference between the two. But there's probably 99% of the land patents are United States land patents and 5% being state land patents. But you see the original 13 colonies along the coast, they gave their land to the people before there was ever a United States of America. And so they issued their own land patent. And they either have them or they're in Great Britain. Some people, Somebody said that they found their land patent in Great Britain. So they're pretty hard to, to find. But the back states, half, half of the uh, original 13 colony states, uh, they still had a lot of land when the United States of America was formed. So the United States of America said, we want you to donate all your, um, <coughs> uh, your vacant land to the new federal government for the good of the whole, to help the federal government. Because now we can sell it, we can issue our land patent, and we can get that as revenue. And they they fought it for a long time, but they finally came in and they did that. So there are some land patents in some of the original colony states. You need to look, look on the Internet and find if there's a Bureau of Land Management in your state. If there is, then you're going to need the township range section and section number uh, of, that, of that land. And you can probably get that from a title company or a surveyor for sure. Maybe the surveyor general of your state can be given the address and give you the township raising section. Then they can go pull the original land path. And you can, you can get that from the archives of the United States government. See, this is one of our arguments. You say this is old and we're saying it's forever. Well, it's forever because it was signed by the President of the United States of America, and it's on permanent file in the National Archives where they spend millions of dollars to keep the humidity and the temperature perfect to preserve these old, very, very still valuable documents forever. So you may or may not have a land patent, but you probably do. You'll need to do that research. And we need you to show us the land patent. Now, here's, here's where that works. The, when we read a land pad, we're looking for the word forever, someplace on there. And sometimes it's the last word on the page. And I, I collect land patterns, and they're on every single land pad, United States land pad. And it's good to the science forever. So we look for that. Then we also look for a reservation of rights. Now, the old original land patterns were actually handwritten with a script that's absolutely beautiful. Then they came out with typewriters, and they typed them up, and they, sometimes they printed a lot of stuff. That the the uh, we're also looking for a reservation of rights. Now the newer land patents they reserve rights. Whoever issued it, if it was the state, they they issued a reservation of rights to the state, none to the federal government. 
if it's a federal land patent, then they issued reservation of rights to the federal government, nothing to the state, cities, or counties. In other words, here's the judicial problem. This land patent is protecting this, land, this private land forever. There is no reservation of rights to the state of California or to its legislative, executive, or judicial departments. You're all on the outside looking in. This is a straight quit claim transfer. I've got the case law. It's a quit claim. A quit claim says you, you have everything I have, everything I have. So if it came from the federal government and it wasn't recognizing a Spanish, Mexican, Russian, or Mexican land grant, it, was, it came out of the public domain land where the federal government had all the sovereign erodial land ownership rights, title, interest use, and control, and they quit claim transferred that to the private sector. With, with the land power of not reserving any rights to, to anybody. Now, the new one on the federal side, when the Surveyor General is out in all these states, whether they be early real states or territorial governments, but they're, in, they're, they're surveying their land, uh, they might see a really old fan coming out of a canyon in the mountains. So they put on their that they reserve the right to come back in and put in some flood control. Someday, maybe. They don't have to, but they reserve that right. And it's called dishes and canals. And so on the plot map, if they're drawing up, it'll just show up as D slash C. So if you're looking at a plot map, you'll see D slash C. You know, the federal government reserved the right to come back in and put in ditches and canals. Now, later on, they said, well, we, we reserve the right for coal and oil. The new ones reserve more and more and more rights to the federal government only, which still leaves the state legislative, executive, and judicial on the outside looking in. They have absolutely no jurisdiction, which, according to the book called Suing Judges, makes them liable for messing with you. They have, here's the, here's the here's five adjectives here. They have a clear, total, complete absence of all jurisdiction. There's also a case law that says, if, see, there's four kinds of jurisdiction. There's venue jurisdiction, like the judge has jurisdiction over the county. There's impersonal jurisdiction over persons. I'm not a person. Then there's in-rem jurisdiction over the thing, which could be the car or the land or whatever. But then there's subject matter jurisdiction. And when they don't have subject matter jurisdiction, they don't have any of the others. And they don't have subject matter jurisdiction on land patent and land. All right. So did, did that answer your questions, sir? Yes. yes okay. If, very, uh, you can very much. You can uh, go to the website and contact me if you need to. Okay. Thank you. All right. If there's any more questions, hit star eight on your phone. We had one person that had a question, Bob, but they uh, hung up. So, if you have any questions? Hit star eight on your phone. Oh, there we go. There's Oregon again. All right, here we go. Okay, Oregon, go ahead. And uh, you keep trying to introduce my person. I don't know why. It's not going to speak to old Bob. Um, Hello? Yes. Yeah, you'll I, need to speak up. Do you hear me okay? I I, I did not hear that. I heard my name. Okay. Can you, you hear me now? Very slowly, I'll probably hear it. I had a front tooth fall out, so I'm losing some air there. I got to remember that. Hey, uh, question: What this gentleman that called in was concerned that 
of the current state of things and why he yeah. he, he would like to have land patents on all of his yeah. uh, assets, his property assets. But would a would would a UCC would the UCC for one understanding the UCC and and had the appropriate uh, uh, UCCs on their land? Is that going to be of any of any uh, security for for one holding uh, properties? Well, I, I'm not sure I understand the whole question. I heard UCC and land patents. Okay. UCC, uh, there was a few years ago, there were some people out uh, holding seminars on, uh, called Redemption. The UCC and UCC1 and all that. And some of those people went to jail uh, and are still in jail. And they did it wrong. Whatever they did, they did it wrong. I don't like to use Redemption at all. I've bought all that stuff. I've got piles of it. Um, but... I'm, I'm over here at the common law. I'm not under law of the sea. UCC is in, in the law of the sea. Now, we use law of the sea against them, uh, but back to the land patent. A lot of people say, well, I don't know if my land is covered with a land patent. My answer is all private land is protected forever by a either a state land patent or a United States land patent. That's the way it got to be private. If, it, if there was no land patent issue, it would still be in the public to interject. Ready to interject. Thank you, Bob. Uh, second part of the question is, uh, are you familiar? There's a man whom I'm familiar with. His name is uh, Dave Darby. And uh, I believe he had a, uh, a satisfied land patent on his five-acre piece of ground up in Washington. Uh, and through uh, a couple of attempted sheriff sales and his filing some sort of an action in the federal court there in Washington, uh, his property was taken from him, and he's accepted that, and I'm, he's doing something other. I don't know. But uh, are you familiar with Dave Darby and, and his case? Oh, what's his name? David Darby? No, I don't. I've seen a lot of stuff on the Internet that's wrong. Uh, and and, I, and, I, and I, I listen to conference calls, and I will not interrupt somebody else's conference call to tell me he's wrong. And I just, two, two things that I've heard wrong on other people's stuff is that they say if it's in the name of a woman, you have to put it in the name of a man because they didn't issue women land pounds. Oh, yes, they did. I've, I've got them. I collect them. Desert Hot Springs in California was issued to a, to a woman... Uh, uh, named named Mark Gray. Uh, another one is if they say uh, if you if your land is in a in a corporation name, you got to get it back in the name of a man because they didn't issue land patents to corporations. So your time yes, is your time is valuable. Your time is valuable, and there may be another questionnaire out there. So I'd like to give you two more examples, if I may. Okay, I mean, uh, go ahead. I'll try okay. to hear you. Well, here's the first example. Here's the first example. Um, a, an asset, an inheritance, was uh, was uh, illegally stolen through an Ill, uh, illegal procedures process in one of the county, uh, one in one of the uh, circuit court uh, and counties uh, here in Oregon. Um, do you and do you know of any viable process for reclaiming uh, a lawful action over that uh, so-called property and asset or land? In the common law? Yes, if, if yes I do. It's called a quiet title action, and it can come up at any time. 20 years later, um, see, they have, 
maybe in the development course, they have what they call a remittiture, uh, a death certificate of a case. You can't, you can't keep rehashing stuff. Okay, so Bob, so then uh, now there's been a new home, a new house built on this on this land, and how would how would I go about? If I were the one, how would I go about enforcing that quiet title action? Because I wouldn't want to do it if I couldn't actually repossess a physical repossession of this land. Yeah, that's what I want to help people do. I, I don't want to give them a money judgment. You know, I've lived in my house for 41 years. I don't want money if I lose it. I want my house back. That's where my memories and stuff are. You can keep your money, but I want some of your money anyway for messing with me. But yeah, this is what you're talking about is a quiet title action. You just show them to quiet their claim against your land. You show them all this information that they did everything wrong, and the way you can open a dead and buried case is with newly discovered evidence. Now, here's how that works. You make them, you go to the... Wait, 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 wait. I didn't catch that last phrase. I didn't catch the words from that last phrase. What was that? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that whole sentence. The last phrase that you said, you gave a phrase of, of three, four words together. I didn't catch them, Bob. What did he say, Tad? He said, you were saying something uh, in your last sentence that he did not understand. you catch it, Tad? No. Okay. Well, I don't know what... He was getting into explaining how to enforce the quiet title action where one could actually go in and repossess the land that was Ill, illegally stolen and unlawfully stolen. I, I'm, I'm, okay. sorry, I'm not understanding you. I'm just, okay. I, I apologize for my hearing problem. I want Bob, to understand. Bob, he, he wants to hear more about how to use the quiet title to repossess land that has been stolen from the previous owner. Oh, okay. Well, the previous owner, if you're a party, you can do a quiet title action. You can't do a quiet title action for somebody else. So you can do a quiet title action in the United States District Court where they understand the government benefits of the United States land patent. That way you quiet somebody else's title. They don't have their claim title anymore. The judge issues an order of, of quiet title in your favor and against them. And you can open up, you know, sometimes they'll come back and say, well, that was all down now 20 years ago. And you, so you make you go back to the original court that issued all the evil stuff and you make a motion to reconsider on newly, with newly discovered evidence. You can make newly discovered evidence 20 years later that you didn't have 20 years ago. And they will deny that. But there's an, that opens up the appellate court. So now you just walk them right into the Court of Appeals, and you show the Court of Appeals you're newly discovered evidence, and the Court of Appeals can either remand it back with instructions or they can issue a quiet title in your name. You can unwind all this stuff. Okay. I, I got a clearer picture of that process now and why it would work. Thank you, Bob. Uh, one, one last question. Um, well, maybe two. But, uh, in a situation whereby I quit paying the, the mortgage, uh, I quit paying, paying on the mortgage three years ago. I quit paying, therefore, uh, the city uh, extortion tax the same period. And then a year ago, they, the uh, people that uh, were playing with the deed 
out of some some trust company out of Delaware. They uh, they began a mortgage foreclosure process, and this is in uh, the uh, this is in Oregon State, so there's a judicial process for that. And so then I filed uh, a bankruptcy, and that put it into abatement. And then there was some other shenanigans that went on with with uh, interlopers, uh, but it stayed in abatement now for well till just this summer, and. The, they have they have refiled to uh, 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 close the abatement so they can move forward with the uh, with the foreclosing of the uh, mortgage. Um, is that a is that a case whereby uh, a a say a third party could come in now relieving and, and somehow assuming? I want to know if from your experience. Uh, when when all the parties of interest are still in possession of the land, they have the most power possession wise. But you know how the attorneys and, and everybody's working in their in their uh, in their uh, in their civil court process. So, having said that, Bob, uh, do you have a clear route that one uh, of some of some savvy and uh, seasoning could navigate through to? Uh, Seal up the ends of the envelope, so to speak, uh, to to at least go on and live uh, for a time. You know, if you keep the attorneys at bay at one end of the envelope and seal them up from the other end of the envelope, can one put this this property asset uh, in a stay? You have an, uh, an answer. Let me try to answer what I think I might have heard. Um, but we if you need to define what you need is a securitization audit. We don't do that, but there are a lot of people that do, and we can give you names of people that do that. But that shows all that I heard something you did say that I like, <coughs> that I'm aware of, and that's the rescission. The rescission that's, document has not been placed into the file yet. Okay, Dad, I, need, I need a translation here. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, yeah, I know we spoke earlier today, and I'm briefly, I forgot your name. Uh, excuse me, Ronald. Ronald, that's it, okay. Ronald, maybe you can tell me, what is the, is this all hypothetical, or are you actually working with somebody? Yes, this is all factual stuff. I just made it sound hypothetical, I suppose. Okay. Not, intending, not intending to. Okay. It's factual I, I would re- is this your house that's in question? First, the first first description was my own when they stole my inheritance. Okay. If you might recall, that's kind of the time we met. Okay. Um, and then the second uh, scenario is a real-life setting that I'm presently in. And I could speak more detail, but I'd rather do that with you or him off this open line. Okay. I would recommend that um, that you... Get in touch with me privately and see what we can do to maybe work with you one-on-one. And you'll probably be working with John Gorla, and he can but hear I you do, a lot better. Hey, Tad, 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 what I do know is that this is a great pilot case. Okay, that's fine. Um, I, I don't think that we're going to be able to communicate as well tonight as we need to, so why don't you contact me privately, and let's see what we can do to connect you with John and Bob. 
Well, certainly, but I want to hear from Bob though if he thinks that if he, he, you know, he, I think he did say that he believed there was a a clear route of uh, of uh, satisfaction there. Okay. Well, again, let's let's get together. I, I, no, I want to know if he did say that or not before before I, before he gets a off. Clear, the okay. Hold it. A clear route of satisfaction for what? Your stolen inheritance or the home? Uh, well, he, he explained best, I think, for now, the quiet title action and how that process could possibly work for me in the stolen inheritance. But I was more, I was more interested in, in how he answered the, you know, he must, he's must have been in a situation like this or heard of hundreds like this. They're very common. This is a scenario that we all fall into in the mortgage foreclosure process. I just happen to be living here and in the middle okay. of it. And based upon my knowledge versus the knowledge of the of the one that signed the promissory note oh, and, the, and the and the oh, trustee God damn air. is uh you know we're not on the same page. So I'm, I'm I have an opportunity to help out and let's see how much of this uh this 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 already uh this already proven ground. Okay. Can, Bob, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay. I I, I, I think I need to uh, say something else. Sometimes cases are really very complicated. We can't do those for thirty five hundred bucks. They go up to five thousand. So we need to hear all the all the issues before we can tell you what what the donation is supposed to be. All right, so Ron will get in touch with you tomorrow and let's see what we can work out, all right? Sure, Chad. Sounds all good. Right. Thank you. Okay, Bob, um we've been on an hour and a half. And I think people are probably getting tired, so I think we're gonna go ahead and call it an evening. Uh, so, Dad, yes. I don't ever get tired of talking law. I can well, I, I know you do, but I think I think our audience is is uh, okay. starting to wane a little bit. Hey, Chad, I have a question for you. Okay. Is this the first in the series of uh, talks that uh, Bob has put on? Are you, you yes. put on with Bob? This yes. We'll, we'll have these calls every Wednesday night. And for how how long have you and Bob scheduled these to continue with him? Um, as long as Pardon it needs how? to go. Pardon me. As long as it needs to go. Okay. Okay. But I usually try to keep it around an hour, but. Um, well, I mean, I mean, do you foresee Bob being on for the next three weeks, four weeks, five? Uh, oh, it'll be continuous. We we don't have any definite end. You know, it's not like a six month program. We'll just keep doing it. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, like next week, it's not going to be a different Bob. It's going to be this Bob. Correct. Oh, let's go. That's why I was checking. All right. All righty. Okay. Well, Bob. Um, All right. Thank everybody for joining us. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. I have a lot of information that that I want to get out because it can be very, very helpful. There's a lot of people. Yeah, it seems like the courts today don't and, and court enforcement and these people they don't care that uh, they 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 cause a lot of divorces, they cause uh, suicides, they cause heart attacks and death, and they don't care. Uh, they get paid every Friday, and 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 here we have to make a living, and so we have to work this in uh, evenings and weekends, and it's just not fair. But then life isn't fair, is it? So we have to, what I try to do is I try to help people win with the least amount of work. In other words, shortcuts. We, 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 we are able to win with the, without spending a, a lot of time and money 
by just going for the uh, the really important stuff that they cannot get around. And I've shared that tonight about the separation of the, you know, the, the three different ways you, you don't even have a mortgage anymore. But they, you, we, we have to enforce that, and that, that's, a court, that's a court action. So we have to go and have the court tell them they screwed up. They are reading, they discharged their own debt. So it's, uh, it can be complicated. All right. Well, anyway, so we're going to call it an evening for tonight. So, everybody, I really appreciate you joining. Go ahead and let your friends know. And uh, I, I think hopefully we'll be getting more into instructional how-tos in uh, subsequent calls. So, uh, uh, I have a quick question that might be good. Okay. Is this, do you have, do you have, is this going to be on your, any kind of an archives where people can go back because I have a number of people that said, uh, you know, the Internet's down, they can't get on, but they want to hear it. Um, yeah, there's an archive at TalkShoe.com. It has the whole call in its entirety. And when we get into more instructional stuff, I will have those calls archived at YouHaveTheRight.com, but they'll be broken down more by subject. So they're, we're gonna they're get, we're gonna get into We're going to get into court procedure, too. Okay, that'll be good. So yeah, I want to I want to teach I want to teach people how to do this themselves. I'm seventy-four sure. years old. I, I'm not looking for more work. <laughs> I'm gonna I'll take work whenever people need me. But that's it. It's it's a need. But okay. I I turned down a lot of of stuff. You know, uh, in my contracting business, I just sold two major jobs today because. I'm going to be uh, doing a seminar on how to help people uh, go into business for themselves. Now, there's mobile homes all over America, and those people need work. So I'm going to help people create their own business and be a success uh, right out of the gate. They're going to be, uh, they don't have to, to work out of what I did. Uh, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, I got a question, Bob. Bob, I got a hey, question. Ronald, Ronald, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's call me, let's go over it privately. we got to end the show right now. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay, Bob, go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm I'm just saying that that uh, I still take work when people come to me. I don't ever advertise. I I don't have any business cards. In fact, you know, I, I'm just too busy uh, with what comes to me. So, uh, but now this the tab show is an opportunity for me to get my information out. Uh, so, so people, I want to help you do it yourself. Um, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an attorney. You couldn't chase me fast enough to put that burden on me. I can do things that they can't do, and I can teach you how to do it. There's this case law, Haynes versus Curtis, with pro se litigants shall be held to a less stringent standard than attorney. So they have to kind of look the other way if you didn't say it just perfectly. And also, there's other case law, we have that that says, you know, if I did it wrong, you've got to show me how to correct it. I know you're not my attorney, but you can't just, the, the judge has to do it. He can't just throw you out because you didn't say it right. So he, he's bound by their law to help you correct your, your documents. So take, take the pressure off of you. All right, cool. So that's what we have to look forward to, folks. So anyway, everybody, thank you very much for uh, joining us tonight, and we will see you again next week. And thank you, Bob. You're welcome. Thank you. Good night. Good night.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.